2 Corinthians 10.5 teaches us to demolish arguments, but Philippians 2.14 says do everything without arguing. What's the difference between demolishing arguments and arguing? Welcome to the Food for Your Soul podcast, where we apply the Word of God to the hearts of men and women to stoke the fires of your delight in Christ. Here's your host, Dr. D. Richard Ferguson. So Paul commands us to do everything without complaining or arguing. Now, you get the question, what counts as arguing exactly? What are we going to do with our disagreements? Obviously, there's going to be disagreements, right? What are we supposed to do? Just ignore them, pretend they don't exist? No. No, we can't do that. Because if you believe one thing, and I believe the opposite, somebody's wrong, right? Either you're wrong, or I'm wrong, or we're both wrong, but somebody's wrong. I don't want to be wrong. If I'm wrong, I want to be corrected. I want to, I want to find the truth. I want you to help me discover that so I can change. And if you're wrong, I want to help you see it. So uh, 1 Corinthians 11.19 says, There have to be differences among you to show which one of you has God's approval. We're not like the world where we say, Well, your thing is true for you. My thing is true for me. We believe in truth, right? Objective truth. And so, so we've got to get down. We've got to do the bottom of truth. We have differences. We need to debate them. We need to debate so we can figure out well, what's right, what's wrong. And we can both get on the right track. So we need to do that. We need to debate. But when, at what point does helpful, godly debate cross the line into sinful arguing and quarreling? What's the definition of quarreling? We need to figure this out because we all kind of land a different spot on that. There are some of us who we don't like any conflict and so any kind of debate is quarreling, right? Anything. We just, I'll just keep our mouths shut. If there's any disagreement, this, we won't talk about it uh, because they just feel like it, it's, always, it's always a quarrel. And there's other people that are on the opposite extreme. Everything is legitimate debate. I mean, they're fighting, they're like getting, they're, they're giving black eyes and bloody noses and they're like, no, it's just debate. You know, we're not arguing. So, so where do we draw the line? I studied through the New Testament and I looked up every place I could find that talks about arguing and quarreling. And there's four principles that stood out that I think will help us define what debate or what arguing really is. And the first one has to do with an attitude of anger or combativeness. First Timothy 2.8 says, I want men everywhere to lift up holy hands in prayer without anger or Disputing. So there we see the opposite, the kind of disputing that's sinful that we're not supposed to do is connected with anger. Right? So when there's anger, that's when you know, okay, this is starting to be an argument. Um, and that's easy to spot because what will happen is it will be devoid of kindness. Kind words will disappear. Second Timothy 2.24 says, The Lord's servant must not quarrel. Instead, he must be kind. So you can see the opposite of quarreling is kindness, which means... Quarreling is when kindness goes away. We debate things. We can debate things vigorously and passionately without arguing and be just fine. Not, we don't hurt the relationship at all if we're kind in the way that we speak and we're respectful in the way that we speak. I have debates with people, people in my family, friends, that we're very, very different on some important theological differences and there's no relational harm done when we debate because there's kindness and respect. But you can hear it, can't you? When, when, when it's a debate and all of a sudden kindness like goes by the wayside, you, can, you sense it immediately. You know. It's like, okay, here's anger now. And this debate has just turned into argument. 
very, very, very often that happens when people uh, take, the, take the debate personally. This is a problem a lot of people... There's a lot of people, Christians, who identify them, their views with themselves. So if you attack my view, you're attacking me. And that's the way they think. So no matter how kind and how respectful you are, it won't matter. They'll always take it as a personal attack, and it'll make them mad when you disagree with them. And, and I just say, if you're one of those people, you need to understand, you're not your views. <laughs> You're not your views. Your views are, some of your views are wrong. Some of your opinions, your views are wrong. Some of mine are wrong. None of us have perfect theology, right? And so, uh, you should be thankful when someone comes along and points out one of those areas that's wrong so that you can get that corrected and make some progress. Okay? So, you're not your views. Don't, don't, uh, take everything personally. Alright, so one, one of the points where debate turns into an argument is when kindness goes by the wayside and anger rises up, um, and hostility. That's number one. And when that happens, uh, the best thing to do is end the discussion about that topic and focus totally on getting this re- relationship reconciled again. Okay, we've just crossed the line into fighting, and so let, let's, let's, let's forget about the thing we're talking about and, get back and, and, and fix this relationship problem. Once that's fixed, then we can get back to the debate. Another time when it's wise to end the discussion is when one party begins behaving like a fool. Second uh, Timothy, uh, let's see, Proverbs twenty six four. Um, Do not answer a fool according to his folly, or you will become like him yourself. When you engage with a fool, is a, a big danger of, of being drawn in. If you uh, if you start to get into a debate and you, you you try to address his folly, show him some of his folly, and point out what he's doing wrong. And he just becomes so argumentative and so belligerent uh, that will tend to draw you in. So you're not next thing you know, you're fighting back, and you're being argumentative and belligerent. And no matter how hard you you, you just resolve, okay, I'm not going to argue with him. I'm going to keep it calm. But there's some people that just have a way of drawing you into a fight. Everyone they talk to, they draw them into a fight, and 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 that's a fool. And the, and the Bible says, don't engage with that. Don't get into that. Don't get into it with those people. And what, what you'll notice when you're dealing with one of those people is uh, there will be a whole lot more talking than listening. Which is the second point that I think, a piece of definition I would have here. There's, when there's more talking than listening, then I think you're arguing and not debating. When someone is teaching and nobody's learning. <laughs> you ever been in a discussion like that? Two people are teaching, nobody's learning. Uh, that's not helpful, right? That's no good. It's going to come from that. All right, another mark, a third mark of an argument is when one party just has the goal of defeating the other party. I just want to, I just want to beat you. And, and so what happens is they're not even concerned about truth. They don't even care. The other party might make a valid point. They might make some really valid points, and the other person will never acknowledge it because it will weaken their position. Right? I don't even care about truth. I just want to win. See, typically, when two people are in a debate... Both sides have some valid points. It's almost always the case. People that differ with me on, even on really, really important things. You know, like I'm debating somebody on abortion. That, um, you know, I believe abortion is wrong and, and they think it's good. Uh, even that, they have actually have some valid points that they make. But when you can't acknowledge that, when you can never acknowledge the validity of the other side, anything the other side is saying, um, then you know you've gotten into a point where all you care about is defeating that person. You don't even care about the truth. You just care about defeating that person. Because if you care about truth, you'll like valid points and you'll you'll acknowledge valid points. 
But if you just care about defeating, then you don't want to weaken your position, so you'll never acknowledge that. And when you get to that point, a lot of times what will happen is you'll just start trying to, if, you, if your goal is to defeat that person, what you'll do is you'll try to get, get some allies so you start talking to other people. Let's get the whole church involved in this thing. And, we'll, and, and I'll stir up people against you on my side, against your side. And that kind of arguing creates division in the church. And Scripture is very strong about that. We're, we're, we're instructed to take strong action against anything like that. So Titus 3.9 says, Avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law because these are unprofitable and useless and warn a divisive person once, then the second time, and after that have nothing to, nothing to do with them. So that's a famous verse, verse 10. Warn a divisive person, but notice the connection with arguing. That's where it starts. Okay, one last marker of arguing to define what arguing is. A debate, a good debate, turns into a sinful argument when one party presses the issue beyond its proper level of importance. So you you take little things and make them big things. You You ever been around one of those people? Everything's a... Essential of the gospel. Every single thing. I mean, there's people that, that every doctrinal point they hold is, is absolutely essential. So if you disagree with them on how many angels can dance on the head of a pin, you're, you're a heretic. You know? And, and these people, they'll go on and on about which version of the Bible is best or the timing of the rapture or some political opinion or what are all these opinions. And if you don't agree with them, you're, it's questionable whether you're even saved. You know, you're barely a Christian if you don't agree with them on every point. Be very careful not to make, to major on non-essentials. Let's not major on non-essentials. First Timothy, most of the passages that talk about arguing talk about this. First Timothy 1.3, command certain men not to devote themselves to myths, endless genealogies. These promote controversies rather than God's work, which is by faith. 2 Timothy 2.14, warn them before God against quarreling about words. This is of no value. It only ruins those who listen. Avoid godless chatter because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. And then down in verse 23, uh, don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because they only produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not quarrel. We are to shine like lights in the night sky. And so we don't complain. That's the the church. We don't complain. Instead, we love God. And we're thankful for what He does and the way He does things. And we're content with what He gives us. And so instead of complaining, there's thanksgiving. Instead of griping, there's praise. Instead of bellyaching, there's worship. Instead of moaning, there's gratitude. And instead of whining, there's singing. That's what sets us apart. And when we do that, when we take that kind of pleasure in God and what He's like and what He does and the way He does things, we, and we exhibit that kind of contentment and faith and in the goodness of God, in the midst of this crooked and depraved and twisted generation of the, of the world's hostility towards God's will, we will shine like stars and light this dark place up. Matthew 5.14 You are the light of the world. You are the only light of the world. Did you know that? The only light in this world is the church. Now think about that for a minute. What are the implications about how we should look at the darkness? Because, you know, when the sun goes down and the house is all dark, you don't criticize the house for being dark. You just ask, why aren't the lights on? Right? Especially 
if you're a lamp. Right? You don't criticize the darkness if you're a lamp. If you do, you're kind of indicting yourself, aren't you? You're not the greatest lamp if you're complaining about how dark it is around you. A friend of mine once said, if we're the light of the world, then the world is only dark by our permission. I think there's a lot of truth to that. Now, obviously, as one single individual, you can't light up the entire world uh, by yourself. But, but each time we're tempted to complain about the darkness of the world, I think we would do well to stop and ask ourselves, am I, I at least lighting up the space right around me with my speech? And the amazing thing is you can do it with your speech and your attitudes. When you start to get overwhelmed with the evil of this dark world, be encouraged by the fact that you are a light. You're a lamp. You, you, the darkness has no defense against you. None. Did you know that, I mean, if you, if you picture two rooms, one's pitch dark, the other one is really brightly lit with, with lights. If you open the door between those two rooms, what happens? Does the darkness shine into the lit room? Or does the light shine into the dark room? So light always wins against darkness. Always. It's just an amazing thing to think about. The extremes of wickedness and depravity in this world can be overcome by something so simple as just being thankful with your words. Just having an attitude of gratitude towards God and, and, uh, and, and enjoying God's love and reconciling broken relationships in the church instead of arguing and fighting. With just doing that kind of stuff, listening instead of arguing, just doing that kind of stuff, we can light this dark world up. We, we can stem the tide of wickedness uh, that's coming in this world not by an election, not by passing laws, just by not complaining and not arguing. Amazing. And we can do it. That's what will stem the tide of evil in this world. And we can do it. We can do everything through Christ who gives us strength. Oh, Lord, we... What a gracious God you are. Pagan religions, they want their people to offer their firstborn son in the fire or cut themselves with knives or whatever. And what you call us to do is just enjoy your love. Just enjoy your love. Oh, Lord, teach us to do it. Make us a grateful people. Make us a people that points to your generosity in our joy. I think that statement in Second Timothy 2 is striking. The Lord's servant must not quarrel. I don't know if we take statements like that in Scripture seriously enough. It's stated strongly and clearly and repeatedly in the Bible. And yet, how often do you hear somebody broken over the sin of being argumentative or asking for prayer to overcome that evil in his life or seeking counseling for his arguing problem? Probably most of the times we commit this sin... It never even occurs to us to repent. But now that it's been brought to our attention, let's take it seriously. Give it some thought. Are you ever argumentative? Combative? Do you correct what your spouse says even when there's no real value in correcting it? Do you ever get into a discussion and then end up just trying to prove you're right regardless of whether anyone's going to be edified by it? Do you feel angry, emotions rising when you have a conflict? Search my heart, Lord, and show me if there's any of this sort of thing that I need to repent of. Sensitize my conscience to feel it 
whenever I'm even a little bit argumentative. I want to be strong in speaking up for the truth, so give me the courage to speak up even when it's unpopular. But when I do it, show me how to do it with humility. Remind me how little I know, how often I've been mistaken, and how unloving it is to present a truth to someone in a way that's harder than necessary for that person to receive it. When you boiled all the things down that you hate into seven headings, one of them was people, you hate people who sow discord among the brethren. Make me alert to any times I'm guilty of that, Father. Post a guard at my mouth, God. Set a watch at the door of my lips. May the words of my mouth be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of my mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Let my conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt. Make my tongue a spring of life. May I be a peacemaker who sows in peace and raises a harvest of righteousness. Don't let me ever speak words designed to impress people with my knowledge or my goodness or my anything. Let me use this tongue you've given me and the influence you've given me to point people to you and to unveil your glory. Thank you for listening. If you found today's episode edifying, why not share it with a friend? This season of the Food for Your Soul podcast features excerpts from our sermon series on the book of Philippians, 50 expository sermons covering every verse. You can find those and hundreds of other sermons for free download on drichardferguson.com. Until next time, rejoice in the Lord always and set your mind on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God.